this make sure everything's working yes we're we're recording and we're also sending make sure that um dashboard's working all right uh go live notifications let's 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 look at that later okay cool so that's that let me go ahead and ping off in my own discord about the show twitch announcements tmm dash live there we are um let's see i think that's everything there's never usually any pre you know i should i should insert some like pre-roll like music or something sometime um let me unlock the device that plays the outro song as well and i think we're ready hopefully i don't know i never feel ready but let's let's go ahead and give it a shot eh? yellow <laughs> Hello everybody, welcome to the Morning Metro. It is May 9th, 2019. We, of course, are your co-hosts. And actually, I'd like to welcome especially Cappy, who is our new co-host. Hello, Cappy. Welcome Hello. to the show. We're, we're very here. Here's some, here's some applause. Oh, shoot. That's getting drowned out again. Here we go. Some applause for Cappy as he's our new co-host for the Morning Metro. And he was very, very excited to... Uh, be part of the show and stuff and we're happy to have him as, as a new host and everything but um yeah we're we're here sorry for the bit of a bit of a late um we haven't had any episodes for a couple while for a while actually one mainly because of scheduling um and i also sleep in in the morning as well lols um but we're here we got a nicely packed show but cappy how are you this morning uh waking up still but uh, so far, so good. Honestly, kind of the same. Yeah, I'm not much of a morning person, which is funny because I record a show in the morning. Um, but uh, yeah, but I guess we had to go ahead and jump into it. I kind of have to be slightly quiet because my parents are still asleep. They're not awake. Um, we had to jump into our first article, which is those of you that play the game Overwatch. Uh, Overwatch has a workshop now, apparently. You can create custom games, I guess like custom game modes using tools that the, um, that the game, uh, provides you. So you can create custom rule sets. You can, um, I guess do things on, you know, do stuff on different maps and everything. Uh, this comes from play, uh, playoverwatch.com, of course. Um, so explains you can add different, uh, events, conditions, actions, um it's kind of like in a way how i guess in fortnite how you can make your own custom game modes now overwatch is getting in on making the custom game modes and it's almost like when um i was watching the developer diaries about this and they were talking about the different like game modes and stuff like that i and they and when he first said uh i can't remember i know i know his first name is jeff i can't remember what his last name is but um when he was talking about workshop i immediately thought of the steam workshop when he said it because that's kind of where we're used to seeing a lot of things, you know, put is the Steam Workshop and stuff. But I didn't realize that their idea of Workshop is not actually different game modes. It's actually, um, like, it's it's actually creating your own thing within the Overwatch environment. Um, Cappy, what do you think of the idea of Overwatch having its own game mode or create game um, mode creation? I think it's pretty awesome. Um, it actually released, I think, a, a few patches ago, but um, I I definitely been messing around with it, and I absolutely love it. It's really fun to play around with, and um, just seeing what you can do. Yeah, um, I think it will definitely add um, 
uh, some really fun, like, you know, different takes on, um, on stuff that we're used to. And also, too, apparently, if I am, if I'm understanding this correctly, you can actually, um, uh, publish the, the workshop mode and then you get assigned a special code that anybody that's on Xbox or PC can actually play the custom game mode, which is, again, really cool. Um, it kind of, makes overwatch like less exclusive as well as far as like the different you know maps and stuff that you can you know create so if i made something on um on pc um i could then give it to say you know somebody's on like xbox i don't know if it works on ps4 it might i don't see why it wouldn't um but you know it comes with like debugging stuff and everything now the only the only thing that i feel like would be kind of like difficult a little bit is that like the coding would be slightly i don't know i guess i guess if it's the same game i guess it doesn't really matter what platform it's on because my th- thought about the idea of it um like giving the game mode to like somebody on on console like what are the chances of them like accidentally running into a bug and then the person developed on pc they handed to the person on the xbox could there be any like compatibility issues what do you think um I don't think so, because the reason why is that um, with a few patches ago, Xbox is basically a Windows-based machine, and um, it really doesn't matter if they're on Xbox or Windows, Mm. uh, because already Windows is can be cross-platform played with um, other games like Gears of War 4... That's a good point. Um, Forza, Rocket League. Rocket League is also sort of a similar one now, too, because it's got cross-play. I mean, it's not... Granted, it's different. It's not like saying... Because I just remembered there is the Xbox app on Windows 10. I did just remember that. And I keep forgetting that it's there because I don't use it all the time. Um... Uh, but, um, and good morning, Stan. Also, also anybody in the chat that's just walking in. Good morning. Hope you guys are well. Welcome to the show. Um... But yeah, so I don't know. That's that's kind of cool to see Overwatch kind of get something fresh and sort of new, and maybe you know, hopefully the player base is still in existence. I know that there's been some kind of rocky points with Overwatch here and there and stuff. I I still enjoy it when I'm having a good day playing Overwatch, but um, definitely very cool, and I look forward to seeing how um how this develops out. Um, but we got a couple, little bit more game news, and uh, we're gonna go ahead and move on to our. Next one, which is actually coming from Cappy, and while you might look for the tab for that, ah, I just found it. Go ahead and take this article, if you would, Cappy, please. So, pretty much those who play Ghost Recon or any Ghost Recon games uh, are familiar with Ghost Recon Wildlands. However, there's a new Ghost Recon coming out within the year called Ghost Recon Breaking Point or Breakpoint. Uh, pretty much, it's it's um, set in the future where you're playing as, um, I believe, oh, what's his name? <laughs> Drawing a blank here. Uh, as the main character in Ghost Recon Wildlands. Okay. Um, pretty much, there was an update called Ghost Recon Operation, Ghost Recon Wildlands Operation Oracle, which introduced um, John Berthenall as a wolf, or ghost ghost cold d walker and that's not hard to that's not hard to remember (laughs) and pretty much you 
the mission is is to go around and rescue a certain character in the game. All right. Um, however, it's been shown that uh, John Berthenol is actually going to be the villain in Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Interesting. Um, definitely looks like a really fun game. I'm definitely going to get it. I've been playing Ghost Recon Wildlands for the past few days now, just revisiting it, just seeing what they've added in the past few patches and stuff like that. So I'm I'm super excited for it. Uh, one of my games I'm looking forward to this year, besides Borderlands Three. So, did didn't Borderlands Three just drop? Like, wasn't everybody playing that, or was everybody playing Borderlands Two? Um, I feel like sure I, I thought I'm not I sure saw... Borderlands Three has has been released yet, but I feel like I saw it already. I don't know, but um, but that's cool. Like you know, um, I mean, I'm not much of a Tom Clancy player. Um, the only Tom Clancy game I've ever played is uh, Rainbow Six Siege, which um is actually pretty decent. Um, I'm very bad at the game, but it's pretty interesting. Um, I don't have a lot to say on it because I'm not like familiar with the whole um like. I know that Tom Clancy is very popular for a lot of his games, a lot of his books, um, and I know that Ubisoft has been, you know, I think most most uh, most time the developer for it. Um, it looks like we've got a, I think, let's see, let me take a look at this. Is this a trailer? Oh, no, it's not a trailer. Oh, I thought it was going to be like some kind of, uh, let's see, this is the official trailer. I guess we could try playing this and see how um, that. Let's might have language. I may have language. Okay, let's skip it then. In that case, we'll worry about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, cool. More, you know, more game news. Something to look forward to. Um, which actually might. Do you think that there might be some uh, more information dropped at E3? Do you think? Possibly. Um, not much has been revealed. Um, they did show some gameplay and hands-on uh, action, but not much was revealed. Uh, there is going to be survival aspects in this game compared to Wildlands, and um, uh, it's supposed to be a lot bigger than Wildlands too, supposedly. But I'm I'm really excited. I'm a huge fan of John Berthenol, um, mainly because of his Punisher uh, uh, character that he did for Netflix's The Punisher. Ah, uh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm not familiar with and with any of his work, honestly. So that's that's probably why I'm not I'm not too sure about what to say about it. But yeah, okay, that's that's cool. Um, oh, I thought of something and I forgot what it was. Uh, regarding this game, well, riff. If I think of it again, I guess I'll ask. But since we're since I did briefly drop E3 and E3 stuff, let's talk about some E3 things. Um, so this comes from techradar.com um everything we expect to see at the electronics entertainment expo this year uh, and apparently sony is not going to uh to show up which is kind of interesting um and a little surprising actually okay so i didn't write show notes for this wow i am such a smart person <laughs> well probably because i was thinking of just like skimming through some of it um so i'm gonna ahead and read some of this here Uh, No matter how it changes over the years, E3 is still the biggest event in gaming, whether it's held at a hotel, convention center, or somewhere out in Hollywood. It's a definite industry event of the year where gamers from around the world uh, get get together to to see what comes next for consoles, uh, handhelds, PCs, mobile phones, and everything in between. Um, Let's see, that being said, while E3 has a heritage of the world's most uh, uh, illustration... Wow, I cannot 
I cannot speak today. Yikes. Um, <laughs> well, basically, let's see. Uh, it's again a big gaming convention. Uh, this year's show will be a bit different. EA announced recently that it won't uh, hold a traditional press conference and will and would opt out instead to host several smaller live stream events. While Sony says it won't be attending the conference at all. I wonder why Sony isn't attending. What would be the reason for Sony not attending? Do you think? I'm totally not 100% sure on that one. Um, they didn't attend the past two years, I believe. They were there last year, though, weren't they? Um, I don't recall. I feel like I saw some stuff from... Uh, CN says in chat, because Sony is garbage. Wow. <laughs> um... So let me go ahead and kind of scroll through some of this. Um, so I won't be attending conference at all. Uh, let me go ahead and go through some of the things that would... Um, I think I would just was going to pick out different things that looked interesting. So EA will probably be there. Um, keynote time. EA Play won't won't have a keynote this year, but ticketed fans are welcome to join EA Play at the Hollywood uh, Paladoom, Paladoom on... Uh, on Saturday, June 8th, and Sunday, June 9th, EA has a early lead going into 2019 with its plans already detailed on the publisher's website. To that end, EA says it will be hosting its annual EA Play event from Friday, uh, June 7th to Sunday, June 9th, uh, with free tickets to be distributed shortly. Ooh, free tickets. Nice. According to the press conference, EA... Uh, from EA, on which games it will be showing, it will be showing uh, Star Wars... Uh, Star Wars uh, Jedi Fallen Order, which I'm kind of... Anytime you see EA and Star Wars in the same sentence, um, I kind of cringe. Now, granted, it is going to be from Respawn Entertainment, so they're going to be there. Um, It's more likely than... Uh, wait, more than likely we'll hear about some traditional to Titanfall universe, either a second spin-off title or Titanfall 3... Um, as as well as its plans to expand the successful Battle Royale shooter Apex Legends. Um, elsewhere inside EA's event, we'll be see announcements for the next version of Madden, FIFA, uh, NHL, and NBA Live franchises. I feel like those have been going on for forever, honestly. They have been. I, like, how old is FIFA up to this point? Um, I believe we're on our 30th rendition, if what? I recall correctly. Why? Yeah. Like, give it up, hey, you if know? It, if, it, if it sells, they're going to make them. True. <laughs> uh, another expansion for Sims 4 uh, that might continue Strange Strangeville's story first approach. Less likely, uh, but still possible, are new games from EA's DICE Studio, the developers behind Battlefield and Star Wars Battlefront Games. Uh, who have yet to announce a project for 2019, as well as projects from PopCap, famous for Plants vs. Zombies, which I think is a mobile game, actually, uh, and Ghost Games, uh, the new skate holders of Need for Speed franchise. Last but not least, BioWare de- uh, debuted a teaser for Dragon Age 4. Uh, it lasts the games uh, Game Awards, uh, and we expect to hear something... Something ah to hear something anything that is an awkward sentence about its development uh at EA's event um 
So, I mean, if you want to, Kavi, feel free to scroll through some of this, too, because this is quite a large document to cover. But yeah, I'm, um, I'm scrolling through it right now just to see if there's anything interesting. So, as far as EA goes, um, how do you think it'll be received, or what do you... It's, it mentioned Titanfall 3, which a lot of people were upset when they saw... Now, Apex is a great game. Like, I love Apex. I think I'm really good at it. Um, but we got Apex Legends instead of another Titanfall 3, so it's like... It's kind of like they're they're backtracking a little bit. They they went from doing Apex now going to do another Titanfall game. Um, and you've played, haven't you played Titanfall? I think I played I played Titanfall and Titanfall Two. I absolutely love both both games, but I really love Titanfall Two because of the single player um, campaign, which dives deeper into the lore behind the Titanfall universe. Got you. Um. And honestly, I love Apex Legends. I love playing Me it. Me too. It, it's, it's a really fun game um, compared to like other Battle Royale shooters. <laughs> Fortnite. Fortnite. <clears throat> Sorry, what? Fortnite. Yeah, definitely Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it looks like Microsoft will also be at the event as well as Bethesda. Um, so I'm going to kind of... Do you want to take the bit with Microsoft and I'll, and I'll uh, check out some stuff from... Check out the section on Bethesda here? Yeah, I'll take Microsoft if I can find it. Uh, if you can find it, it's it. There, it there's this great little scroll Found thing. It. Yeah, cool. Go ahead. Um. So right now, Microsoft is the only one of three big console makers that are definitely going to be at E3 2019. Um. <laughs> <laughs> CN. Uh, go ahead though. Um. It, they might decide their new their next gen Xbox codename Project Scarlet, and it might be the reason why Sony is avoiding the show altogether. Could be. Um, however, nothing has been officially announced. Nothing has been officially confirmed or anything like that, except for one thing: uh, the new Xbox One S All Digital Edition. Pretty much no disk drive, nothing to that nature. Mm. Um, so disk drive. Have Hopefully you have a good internet connection. <laughs> right. Um, I also see that they're going to be doing some demos of Microsoft HoloLens 2 um, in a similar setup to a few years ago. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember when they were trying to do the... Um, uh, they did the first HoloLens, and it was of Minecraft or something like that, which yeah. actually looked yeah. really... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. It did look really good. Like I kind yeah. of like the whole I... like augmented reality thing with them. I actually got to get a hands-on trial with Hollands, and I absolutely enjoy it. It it's very interesting technology, um, but the problem is, is that the the head the headset itself is kind of bulky, and I Oof. think they need to slim it down a little bit. Yeah, um, I could see it working like uh, how Google Glass had. Rip a, Google Glass, yes. Like, like you could slide it over your own glasses right. and other mm -hmm. things like that. I would love to see something like that, maybe. Yeah, that would be pretty interesting to see how that would look, actually. Um, um, as for Microsoft, they more than likely, they're going to show new footage of Gears of War 5 and Halo Infinite and a new Forza title, obviously. Um, so. I, as I seem to also <clears throat> recall regarding Halo... Um, I think, oh, wasn't there supposed to be some, like, special edition of, like, Halo that was supposed to be on Steam? 
I thought, or something. Like there was yeah, a lot of Halo, Halo Master Chief Edition. Has that actually dropped yet? I, I um, I don't think it has. But let me check here. Um, while I look that up, I'm going to head and read some things from Bethesda. Uh, regardless of Sony's plans, uh, we know we now know th that Bethesda will be holding a showcase at E3 2019, uh, close in time to last year's event. To to that end, you can expect to hear more about develop developer publishers titles starting on Sunday, June 9th. Um, <clears throat> so what can we expect to see? They're expecting to um, see hear updates for the legacy title, the Elder Scrolls Online, and Fallout 76, which, as we all know, was a total flop. <laughs> yeah. That was a huge, like, excuse me for saying, like a real hot mess, honestly. Because uh, for those of you who don't know what, what happened and are listening to the show via audio or something like that, um, Fallout 76 had a very large... Uh, Fallout fallout yeah of hype uh because during uh e3 last year um uh i can't think of his name i think it's like i can't think of it i know his first name is todd, todd something or other um uh, he was on stage giving the presentation for fallout 76 and there was all this hype build up and you know it was like an open uh, you know fallout 76 was supposed to be like uh, an open world and um you know like a, a real-time game with like you know changing events and stuff and then the game dropped and it had like bug issues server issues half of the content supposed to be there was not there um they end up having to like do some huge you know 60 whatever gigabyte patch update and um file 76 has not gotten a lot of um it's not been good at all um so they're gonna have to really they're gonna have to really do something this year to make it worthwhile and interesting again um because it's a really huge embarrassment for them as a company for that game to get all the hype that it did and it's kind of like in a way like bethesda was to sort of be like i guess the hero of the gaming industry in a way and they usually have made you know good games such as you know um fallouts one through well i guess fallout one through four i don't know if they've I know I have at least one Fallout. I have Fallout 3, which I've yet to actually properly stream all the way through. Um, and they're going to be talking about some stuff for for the game uh, Doom Eternal. Um, I'm so excited. And they're also going to be talking about Outer Scrolls uh, 5, as well as Starfield. Um, ambitious project for... What is Starfield? I don't know if I'm familiar with this particular one. Yeah, I don't remember what starfield is either uh let's let's go take a quick side article look here starfield is going to be a huge for bethesda it's uh the gaming giant's first new ip in 25 for 25 years and will be a single player game that marks the start of an all-new epic franchise but just what is the game about and more importantly when will we be able to play it bethesda's e3 uh, E3 2018 uh, conference had plenty in store for fans of its much-loved franchise. Uh, we got a reveal of Doom's sequel and confirmation of the Elder Scrolls 6 is officially in development, finally. Um, one of the most shocking announcements, however, was the was for an entirely new IP named Starfield. Uh, what Bethesda director Todd Howard, that's what his name is, Todd Howard, uh, called our next generation single player epic. That's an interesting way to call it. Starfield will be a brand new single player RPG from, 
from the developer behind Fallout and Elder Scrolls games, instead of a medieval uh, fantasy or post-apocalyptic wasteland uh, of its other tentpole franchise. However, this new game will be taking players to outer space. Um, cut to the chase. I like this. Space! space! Spaceship! I don't have a, I don't have a soundbite for it, but, you know, space! It reminds me of that, that, uh, scene in, uh, the Lego movie. Spaceship! Spaceship! <laughs> um, <laughs> what it, what is it? A single-player RPG in outer space from the makers? Okay, yes, we know that. When, uh, what can I play on it? It's almost certainly, uh, gaming, uh, coming to PC, PlayStation, and Xbox, but we might have to wait, uh, for the next generation of consoles. Well, uh, no word when we'll be able to play it. Looking till later to 2020, uh, for the release of it. Yikes, it's a little too long. Um, so it's some kind of basically, uh, single player outer space game. Maybe something like No Man's Sky? Question mark? I don't know. Hopefully it's not Mass Effect. I never played Mass Effect, actually. Oh, uh, skip three. <laughs> oh gosh oh oh this is something i'm excited for uh ubisoft will be at e3 and i'm a little bit particularly excited because if i may tell a small side story um last year during e3 2018 um ubisoft uh partnered with a website called hitrecord.org to have user contributed uh art sound music um and some scripting for the game beyond good and evil 2 and i was really excited about this because i wanted to finally have my chance to break into the gaming industry because i would like to do some sound design for gaming or maybe you know composing for you know video games and stuff unfortunately none of my pieces actually got um got into the game but they did get some small attention from the people that were developing the game and i'm really excited for this game in particular because it's one of the first games i've heard of where the fan base um is actually contributing to a large-scale triple a title game so i'm excited to see what beyond good and evil 2 is going to hold when they um you know when they talk about it at uh e3 2019 so i'm very stoked for this yeah um, i'm I'm actually really excited too because really this is the first title to have like crowdsources crowdsourcing yes. material. Yeah. And it's it's going to be really interesting on how they handle that. Yeah. Definitely. And, um I know that uh unfortunately though I think the project for the um uh for the game is starting to uh to wind down so user contributed stuff is not like I don't think I don't think I don't know if they're really accepting any more content. Um, however, one speculation I kind of have with it is that um, if they're going to announce more about it, um, it's possible maybe they'll release another set of projects on the website um, to contribute. I hope, I, I hope they do because the, it to me it sounds really fun and just being able to say hey. I helped yes. create that game. I know, right? Like that's that's one of the joys of like that. That's one of the things that got me so excited because they're like, we're partnering with HitRecord.org. I was like, oh, PogChamp. 
<laughs> major pog champ. Um, so yeah, um, I'm really, uh, I'm very, very excited to see how this is gonna look. I can't wait to see what the results are gonna be for all this. Um, they're also gonna be announcing uh, a game called Skull and Bones, which I'm not familiar with. I'm not sure if that's a if that's a new franchise or one that I just never heard of. They'll also be ca- talking about um, stuff from Assassin's Creed, um, Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag. Uh, oh, the ship focused combat game that looks. Carry the torch. Oh, oh, okay. So, so I'm sorry. I need to get some context here. So, Skull and Bones is a is a ship focused combat game that looks to carry the torch from uh, Assassin's Creed Black Flag, which I actually never. I have Black Flag. I never actually tried playing it. But if this is the game I'm thinking of, then yes, this one also looked really fun. It kind of looked like a um uh like a Pirates of the Caribbean inspired type of game, which honestly we really haven't like had a similar game inspired by that in a very long time um i know that the original Paris caribbean online is actually going through a remake um through some developers and stuff which actually just made me made my kit heart so happy because i spent hours and hours and hours like i sunk hours into that game as a kid um and i was really happy for that and so to have another um you know uh ship battleship type of you know pirate ship sort of feel makes me as equally as excited um and i love like tactical ship games like uh like world of warships for example is a really really good one you know i just realized something i've never seen war gaming at an e3 event i just realized this yeah i've never seen war gaming at an e3 event and i'm very much surprised unless e3 is like Unless E3 only covers like games in North America, because war gaming is Russian. Probably. Probably. I, I just, I'm sorry, I just realized that, and my brain just kind of broke for a split second. Um, so, um, let's see here. Um, oh, you know, what? I also just realized something. I need to share screens with Cappy so that he knows which what article I'm currently looking at. That would help. Um, I, I got it. I've been keeping up. Okay, I know. It's just something I just realized I used to I would do with our former co-host. Um. So, and of course, there's going to be a PC gaming event as well, um, which you can watch some of the events at twitch.tv slash PC gamer um, or on Facebook or on YouTube. I'm not really sure what to expect for PC gaming. I don't really think there's anything too, too to get too excited about, question mark. What do you think, Cappy, for PC gaming uh, event? Pretty much the PC gaming event is for indie developers who normally want to get that time on the main stage like for uh alongside hardware companies and other things like that mm-hmm. so i'm i'm kind of excited to see uh what happens with that i am as well yeah um there there have been numerous gems that have been uh shown off at the on the stage on that stage mm-hmm. uh for example like super meat boy 2 um and so on and so forth so it's going to be interesting to see what what is going to be announced indie wise yeah i noticed here um in reading and skimming a little bit of this article here um 
they're going to be talking about uh, in this section here in particular. At last year's event, we uh, got a chance to see a number of new indie games like uh, Neo Cab from uh, Man Manster. I think that's how you say that. I'm not sure. Um, as well as some heavy-hitting titles like Stormlands from Insomniac and Warframe. Uh, the Sacrifice from Digital Extremes. Uh, we're expecting... Uh, expecting some similar big announcements from this year's show. So hopefully some really good um, good stuff. And actually, you know, it was funny. Um, last year when I was watching E3 event, I actually... Do I even have this? I made like a whole... I think it's on a different hard drive, but I made like a whole list of um, games that I wanted to like check out and, um, and play and stuff. Um, and so um, I think it's like somewhere in my tech stocks on my computer, but I like I'll, I'll, I'll probably I suspect I'll probably um, like have another. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here we go. I had a I had a whole list. Oh, wow. I actually just found it. I had an entire list. So there, there was Just Cause 4. There was Shadow Tomb Raider, which I did get. I never got to play Just Cause 4. I still want to try it. There was Soul Calibur, which was I was really um, excited for. There was Unravel 2, yeah. Anthem, uh, Outer Lands, uh, Elder Scrolls Legends, which I never ended up um, checking out, Starfield, um, For Honor, uh, Marching Fire, which looked interesting, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, never got to try that one, uh, Super Smash Ultimate, which I did get, Sea of Thieves, um, Where Cards Fall, Semblance, and The Endless Mission. All of I actually need to go look up some of these games, see if they're actually all released yet or not. Um, and I think someone here is Beyond Good and Evil 2 as well, um, as I recall. But yeah, so um, for me, a, a large group of games um the crew too i i played the demo for it that was very disappointing actually oh i i've been playing the crew too and it it's really fun the, the demo the yeah. demo was it, it, hmm? the tip of yeah uh you're it, uh hold on a second let me if your internet was slightly dropping and i cut out my uh screen share there so it should so i should be able to you, you were we went slightly oh. robotic there <laughs> Um, sorry oh it's all good um the only reason why i was disappointed with the crew too was that i was expecting it to be a next chapter installment of the crew one because i played the first crew game and i really loved the story for it actually um and then when the crew two came out it like completely shifted gears a pun intended um <laughs> 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 um so I was formally dis- I was really disappointed, honestly, when it finally got dropped. But that's just me. Um, to to me, the crew felt like just another Need for Speed ripoff. Yeah, and I felt like they should went a different direction personally yeah. compared to just like going with the storyline or something like that. I like the fact that you're you're a starting um, extreme sports person and you can go into like any any different types of um uh disciplines that Mm -hmm. that you want to play as which i enjoy uh, except for the playing because i get motion sick and i'm tired of getting motion sick in that game but oof (laughs) oof um, um, and of course, there's Forza Horizon 4, which I still want to pick up. That looked really, really good. That looked very, very, very polished. Um, um, I, I actually want to get that game too. Like, I heard many good things about it. So, I think, uh, as I recall, my friend CN um, was really into it actually, and he said it was it was really it was really quite good as well. Um, 
And of course, some other game news from Nintendo, because why wouldn't they be there? Animal Crossing, Luigi's Mansion, Super Smash Ultimate DLC uh, character pack, uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield, uh, Link's Awakening remake. Ooh, Link's Awakening remake. That's That should be fun. Uh, Mario Maker 2, which was another one that I heard about from uh, some of my viewers on Twitch. Um, and of course, Dear Revolver Digital, I've never liked their titles. Their presentations are like, I've, I've tried to watch their presentations at E3 and it just makes me sick. And I actually really don't appreciate their, um, their stage presence. Cause it's just weird and odd. And like, I mean, like they've done, they've done presentations in such a way where I get what they're trying to do, but it was just in very poor taste. I'm going to be really honest. I just, it, it just made me sick to just like to watch that um so anyway so that that's some of the things we're expecting from e3 and i'm super excited um and i think we can go ahead and sort of uh move on along to to some things um let's see what we got here in the in the list of stuff okay the e3 thing was mine so let's go ahead and go look at samsung thinks that millennials want vertical tvs yeah can you uh <laughs> so- can we talk about this? So pretty much Samsung announced um, Ciro, which okay. is um, a vertical transforming TV. What? Or orientation transforms it into a vertical orientation or portrait mode for those who use computers. Um, I'm sorry. One moment, please. What? <laughs> <laughs> Go on, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> pretty much it's designed for millennials in mind, those who have high consumption of social media. Uh uh-huh. lets you watch Instagram, Snap, and other smartphone videos in their native vertical <laughs> vertical configuration. I'm already having question marks appear above my head that are going like uh um okay. I, I, um, there's none, but there's none of vertical. Co- yes, Snapchat. Yes, Instagram. But like, that's what I have a phone for. I, I'm sorry. Go on. Just continue reading this. This is pretty, sad. Pretty much, it's a 43 inch quantum dot QLED TV with, uh, with that gimmick. Okay. Um, it's in the same family as Samsung's Artsy Serif and Frame QLED uh, TVs. Um, and pretty much it, you can pair it over your phone on your phone by pairing it over NFC, um, in horizontal mode, it works just as a regular TV delivering 4.1 channel, 60 watts round sound. I mean, that's Um, some, that's some nice specs, but like a vertical T I just, I, I, I I can see this. Go ahead. (laughs) It's also best friend Bixby controlled too as well. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, for those of you who don't know, Bixby is a is a virtual assistant. Um, I'm sorry, but I think this is really I think this is stupid. Um, so I, I I look at this. Okay, now the only thing I can see this be good for is if if you're at a convention. And if a presenter wants to like have like banners that like change and they're like vertical like banners that like display different things, that's where I could see this being useful. But who's gonna sit there like you know scrolling, you know, 
Third, what, are they going to use hand gestures? Or are we going to like, like, are we just, are we going to like touch our TV now? Like, how do you scroll? What is, is it just going to like constantly scroll through your Instagram? Like, what if it shows up something you don't want it to see? Like, what if, like, I mean, what if it, it, it doesn't have a camera. It's not, I mean, Snapchat, it's not like, it's not like if you're going to use it for Snapchat and it had a camera or whatever. Like, no one's going to, I don't see this being really useful. This just looks like it's just taking up space. So pretty much it's going to be phone controlled like you, you have a, another remote <sighs> and it's just going to cast to that television. Um, Why? A, a lot of TVs have that built-in capability already, but the problem is, is the vertical, the vertical resolution or uh, native resolution for smartphones is vertical orientation. Okay. So it, it's going to be kind of harder for companies to come out with a TV like that unless you have it specifically mounted to that need. Well. Uh, my- my question is, it, it, can you, like, rotate the TV if you want to watch, like, a movie on it? Like, you yeah. can't tell me. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I was going to say, you can't tell me this is just for social media, because that would be very sad. Um, it, uh, it also looks like that the, Sarah, that the, uh, this television is actually going to have a touchscreen as well, uh, making it usable for presentations, brainstorming, and other business chores. Okay, now that um, I could see it being useful for. Yes, that yeah. I could see that being because you could have like a nice little like little like pie chart or some kind of like PowerPoint presentation or something. Like I could see it. That's where I could see this being useful. And like I said, at conventions and and you know maybe corporate, you know like imagine like a corporate America business. You know uh, guests walk into the complex and they have a little information about the company that like changes and shows like different stats. Like I can see TV being useful for that, but. Social media, just even though you can rotate it, casting your social media, like what is your phone not big enough now? Like I'm literally waiting for people to just walk around with like 41, you know, uh, however big this TV, uh, yeah, 49 inch. Imagine just walking down the street with a 49 inch TV and be like, sorry, just scrolling through my social media. Oh, I'm trying to get into this bus here. Oh, so let me just scroll through this. Like, I, like, yeah. what? No, no, I agree with that because that, I, Oh gosh! All right. I I feel I feel like that's how we're going, especially with like foldable phones. <laughs> foldable phones, um, lol. <laughs> um, th- that's just the whole entire another ball game, in my personal opinion. Oh yeah, um, definitely. Especially looking at the Samsung uh, Galaxy Fold with how they had to like recall the there's been a lot date. of yeah there's been a lot of um a lot of issues with that particular product uh, as a whole foldable displays in general i mean the military ten- i mean th- okay let's, let's back up for a sec a lot of the technologies that we have and this is just kind of a reminder a lot of the technologies that we have originally started as military only stuff like the military has had foldable um displays quite literally for years for the soldiers on the field yeah. uh, we're just now getting you know either by the government selling their their technologies um or 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 you know or companies 
actually developing the technology on their own. Um, we've had full-wheel displays quite literally for years. It's just now it's just new to us because it's now just hitting the consumer uh, end of things and stuff. So, but apparently Samsung's implementation of a foldable display is not as durable as what a soldier on the field gets because it'd be t- too far expensive for us to buy the military grade version of what would be the you know of the consumer version that we're buying essentially um yeah so anyway yeah just just a small side note to that i mean it, it's definitely an interesting idea this zero um they also announced during their event uh that it's serif and tv frames will be available as well and mm. larger 49 and 55 inch sizes this year with a 65 inch frame tv coming soon as well interesting um pretty pretty much the serif is just like a art stand style tv you know i could see this for people who wanted to do large canvas painting yeah definitely i i agree too and then the tv frame is i think more for people who want multiple use for their televisions like say for example you have company over and or friends and family getting together for like a family reunion but you have like a very generic looking tv and you want to do like a family slideshow type thing yeah and you want it in a Hmm. like a picture frame yeah i can see that yeah i can see that i can see that and people who like the art deco style i i really think that that's a pretty cool idea but the zero i i just don't know where this fits in the in the living room like i honestly yeah, that's don't the thing too you gotta have the space for it you gotta have like a yeah. really like my house is not big by any means like it, it's it's a rather small i mean it's a small house I and mean, we've got um a friend of ours um gave us recently a new tv that just uh we just now got a tv that had hdmi actually and that's the first ever hdmi enabled t- television we've ever had um it's been really great but um yeah no for people that have small homes this is not not practical unless you've got like some very large basement and you wanted to do like you know digital canvas like large scale canvas almost like you know full you know person uh the scale uh art stuff or you know family reunions or if you had or if you're an artist and you wanted to do like a presentation of your artwork from your home um or if it was, you know, for a corporate, you know, like, as I said earlier, like a corporate company, uh, for uh, uh, statistics, PowerPoint um, presentations, um, or if you if you walked into the welcome center of of a business, uh, whether corporate or small business or whatever, like that's where I can see this being. So it does actually have its useful. Now I think about it, it's just that at first glance, it's just kind of like you kind of scratch your head, going like, "Excuse me," um, but yeah, no, no, I mean that's that's. I you know what I can I can uh I can see that yeah I can I can definitely see that being uh having a use case now. I feel that um this this should have been targeted more towards like the business and yes um, corporate rather than like uh, in home use. Yes, I actually do agree with that. Yeah, I could see that being um. I could see where that would actually make a lot more, lot more sense for, uh, for companies for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, okay, cool. You know, we'll, we'll see. I'm sure Linus tech or somebody's going to have a review about it. And I'm very interested to know, you know, how it, how it works, how it responds. And, uh, yeah, but, um, 
moving down the article train, let me go see what I got here. If this is from, okay, this is the one from, do, do, do. I gotta make sure I'm pulling out my links properly because we didn't actually put things in. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. So this is talking about, so we've got two stories about Microsoft. Um, Cappy and I both each have one and we're gonna kind of, I think, sort of put them together a little bit, uh, sort of one after the other here. So, um, let me hit my scene switch here. Um, Microsoft is going to be bringing the Linux uh, kernel to Windows. Now, uh, for anybody who I know, I don't know how many, how many techies we have listens to our show, but really quick, uh, a kernel is basically just how uh, the hardware and happy correct if i'm wrong uh it's how the hardware and software talk to each other essentially it's like it's like the core stuff that makes it like go and do what's supposed to do for uh, in layman terms um and for the longest time usually if you wanted to play with linux you would have to install a third-party software such as uh virtualbox uh vm player um and many other um virtualization software is to virtualize a computer that technically doesn't exist uh, in a Windows environment. Well, Microsoft has decided that um, that will be no more, and they're attempting to uh, integrate the Linux kernel into Windows. Uh, and I think there was a there was a core thing here. Um, but I'll go ahead and read the first little bits of the of this article here. So this comes from Wired.com uh, and reads the following. For decades, Microsoft Windows and the open-source Linux operating system were polar opposites. Windows was developed by the biggest software company in the world, one that no friend uh that was no friend to open source linux was was developed by a ragtag team of programmers scattered from around the world often working in their spare time Uh, but over the years open source and linux in particular went mainstream linux now powers a majority of the world's web servers uh, and underpins android uh the world's most uh popular mobile operating system that forced a change in how microsoft uh treated the rival operating system first it began with supporting linux in its own uh i love this this is so funny it's cloud service um azure azure okay now first of all this is funny to me because there is windows server okay and there's been windows and I, i've used windows server 2008 uh and now using windows server 2012 which is basically a upgraded version of Windows 8 itself. Like literally how, you know that, like that start menu UI thing. Yeah, that's yeah, what I've Windows. Used, I've yeah. used Windows Server 2012. Yeah, it's, I hate it. It's absolutely annoying. Um, uh, then it began releasing software for Android and Linux and even using Linux internally to power uh, Azure. Uh, now Microsoft is bringing the heart of Linux into Windows. Thanks to a feature called Windows Subsystem for Linux, you can already run Linux applications in Windows. WSL essentially translates a commands meant for Linux kernel, the core part of the operating system that that talks to hardware, into commands for the Windows kernel. But now, Microsoft will build the Linux kernel into WSL, starting with a new version of the software uh, set for a preview release in June. To be clear, Microsoft is not replacing the Windows kernel, which I really think they should, honestly, because the the fact that like we still use like a registry and a couple other like subsystems for like Microsoft, like Windows as a whole, 
even though it has a flashy UI, to me, is still pretty, like, dated. I mean, now, granted, I, I had it, so I have to kind of veer off for a second here. Um, I sent a tweet out on my Twitter, and I was basically having an issue with the fact that there's a lot of legacy code in windows okay um and there's two versions well there's several versions of windows 10 um but the more popular ones are well-known ones are windows uh 10 home and windows 10 pro and i use the pro version because the feature sets better um but one of the things that's always driven me nuts is the fact that windows 10 has a lot of legacy code um that's pulled off from 95 98 xp etc um and it's kind of bugged me that it has a lot of this stuff and i kind of went on twitter i was like look there should be two versions of windows there should be one that's windows uh, windows 10 legacy and windows 10 creator you know that's what that was those were my ideas for naming it and then i got a series of tweets back from someone that said that a lot of the game controllers use um legacy inputs to um uh interface with the hardware but i feel like what they kind of missed was yes i get that but if you're going to make a windows 10 creator ak also gamer version of it you could still just include the parts that make controllers work but everything else like there's a lot of services in windows that no one is ever going to use like there's a lot of services in windows that i'm just not going to use and they're just they're there for whatever reason um so that's kind of my gripe with 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 windows 10 um cabby feel free to jump at any time please um this is just no, kind of spewing. I'm, I'm listening right now to what you're saying this is just me kind of um, spewing a little bit go ahead I'm, if you got something to say on this i am going to interrupt here real go quick ahead. um so the reason why we still have some legacy drivers and some legacy commands is because a lot of those legacy commands actually operate the current commands. Oh. Um, so really, if you take away the legacy, you might as well just rewrite a whole new operating system and call it Windows 11. True. But that's not their plan with Windows 10. They're, they're making it as a service. Like, uh, for example, the Mac OS... Uh, with how they just update and stuff like that, rather than just releasing a brand new operating system every two to three years. And with Windows 10, yes, there are different versions, like um, Windows 10, Windows 10 Pro, Home, Education Edition, Enterprise oh, Edition. I forgot there was those other versions. Um, uh, Windows 10 IoT, Internet of Things, which is just basically a very lightweight version of Windows 10. Which can run on Raspberry Pi, I might add. Yes. And uh, there's there's also, I believe, a seventh one, but I forget the name there's of it. There's a lot of Windows, basically, and it lets a lot of breezes in. <laughs> and, and then you have the versions of Windows 10. Right now we have uh, Windows 10 1809. And Windows 10 1903, I believe. Yes, which hasn't, which that is known as the May update, which has it's, yes. it has its own bugs. Actually, it's kind of it's kind of comical a little bit. Um, so, I, but yeah, go, go but ahead. As for the WSL Windows subsystem for Linux, I think it's going to be very interesting because the job that I work at. 
We actually use Linux for some of our stuff. We actually use Windows for some of our stuff. We use Mac for some of our stuff. Jamf, which is another uh, a, another server object for uh, uh, Apple products and other things like that. Got you. Um, okay. So what what this means is that you're basically getting a Win, uh, Linux underneath Windows. But you'll need Windows 10 Pro to access these features. Gotcha. These are actually Windows 10 Pro on up features rather than Windows 10 Home. Okay, I can see where that would make where that would make some sense. Yeah, um, the um, it's it's just I guess it's just for me in particular because I've always done things through virtual machine. Um, what I'm actually kind of interested to know is because usually if you're gonna virtual if you're gonna run a subsystem like that, does that mean we're gonna have to like enable virtual the virtualization on our hardware if we want to do? I believe so. Yes. Hmm. Um. Depending depending on how this interacts, I'm not sure if this is just the kernel or another operating system. If it's just the kernel, then probably not. You're probably just going to get the command line interface. Yeah. Uh, compared to having like a whole brand new Linux system. Got you. Or a Linux distro on your system. Um, so Microsoft's target audience for this is for programmers, um, essentially, uh, common operating systems for running web servers, but Microsoft is still king inside the corporations, making it easy to run Linux code and windows is a boom, uh, is a boon for developers who need to use windows machines to write code that runs on Linux servers. Uh, WSL might also help Microsoft win over programmers who use Macintosh, Wow. Products. Uh, Mac OS is based on Linux uh, ancestor Unix um, and has been long favored among web developers who want to develop uh, environments similar to Linux that also supports commercial applications not available um, on Linux. Uh, but there are differences between Unix and Linux. Um, so, and this is just a very long technical article about, you know, about how it works and maybe some, you know, possible incompatibilities and things like that. Um, now, I, I, I this, uh, I'm sorry, this is a personal little rant here. I'm so sorry. I <laughs> have gotten really, really annoyed. I'm, I'm so sick of hearing about this. You can do web development on Windows very easily. And you can write in any language that you want, Python, PHP, HTML, um, C Sharp, C++, like all this stuff. Like it's, you don't need a Mac to develop a website. You can literally just download like XAMP and just install that and do, you know, coding for, for a website. I don't like this mentality that like Windows is, oh, it's, it's not for creators. You need a, a high-end, beautiful, gorgeous Mac that we've refined for your, you know, like, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm poking fun at Johnny I, for, uh, I just I, I'm sure he's a great dude. I just got to poke fun at him. Um, but like, um, you know, like, you can do all this development stuff um, on Windows, um, but having... I'm gonna have to see how this how this is gonna implement. For me, it kind of breaks my brain to have the Linux kernel integrated with um 
with Windows 10. This should be pretty interesting. Um, and also there's some other, we're going to, obviously there's some other stuff. Actually, this kind of almost would segue, I guess they're kind of, in a way, two articles sort of runs together. Um, Microsoft announcing Windows Terminal, uh, new customized command line with tabs and uh, WSL2, um, which I guess is that, is what okay. I'm talking about. And can we like put put this to, to put two and two together here? Yeah, yeah. So pretty much, uh, Windows subsystem for Linux too, and uh, other Windows terminal or Windows uh, commands are going to be integrated into one. Okay. Um, you get multiple tabs, so that way, pretty much, what you will be doing, what you can do, is you can switch from WSL to um. XAML Islands, uh, React Native for Windows, and MS MSIX Core. Okay, now um, I'm not familiar with what what is um the i the i s MSIX Core. What is that exactly? I'm not even familiar with that one. Um, so pretty much it's how Windows 10 interacts with your hardware. Oh, uh, okay. Um, it it's pretty much a kernel for Windows for Windows 10. Oh, okay. That's fine. Um, right. <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. Uh, there's nothing more to that, but that's it. Uh, the this version of Windows Terminal, or as I like to call it, Command Line Interface Two, <laughs> yeah, um, offers GPU accelerated text rendering, theming support, tabs, tearaway windows, shortcuts, full Unicode support, uh, including East Asian fonts and more. Um, it's scheduled for release in June, which is mm. next month, actually. Mm. And, it, and it's it's actually ahead of uh, of its current schedule. Surprisingly, um, this is primarily meant for users of PowerShell command command line uh, WSL and other command line applications. So basically, not for us, like you know, average gamers. Essentially, like this is yeah. just. Yeah, I mean, I if, might play with it. This is pretty much if you're a power user of Windows 10. Gotcha. Or if you're in like a IT, uh, an IT company or something to that nature. It, I could it's see really that. designed for that. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see that. Yeah. Something else. Gotcha. Huh. Interesting. Well, um, very fascinating. I'll be interested to see how it gets um, implemented. Um, my. I actually don't do, um, I am so sorry for all the noise outside. It's like my, I live in a very small neighborhood. So like there's noise all over the place. Um, but anyway, we're going to move on. Um, <laughs> the firehouse went off. I was like, Oh, lovely. Um, uh, I, uh, I actually do my web development, um, using, uh, Microsoft visual code, which has actually been one of my favorite IDEs to mess with recently. Um, but I actually run, um, a small web server off my Raspberry Pi, and then I just access the Pi's local address, and I just do all the coding in Windows and just refresh the page, and it updates on the, you know, using the Samba servers and everything. Like, I'm not using anything that's Linux on um, uh, on Windows. Now, the cool part is if I can run, like, uh, imagine, like, Apache or um, uh, Nginx being installed in Windows 10... And you do all the processing and coding inside that environment, inside Windows, negating needing, you know, like a virtual machine or like, you know, a side. Um, although I still need the hard, I still need, 
I technically still need this because what I have in mind, I still need some some way of interfacing with um, hardware specifically. But still, like, um, you know, like I could see people who want to just do maybe something custom for, say, I don't know, like a Twitch extension or some kind of custom thing. Uh, but I don't know. Like, it's just I can see I can see some things that would um, that would work with this. Yeah, I could see where this could be useful. So very cool. Um, hopefully there won't be any, there won't be too many bugs and too many system breaking things because, you know, unfortunately the, the downside to things is that the more things that you add, the more complicated it gets and the more prone there is for problems and stuff. Okay. We've got two more articles. Um, I want to say the last, save the last one. There was, uh, the one about the car. I wanted to save that one for last. We'll go ahead and move on to the last one. Actually, I meant to put this in with the game news stuff, but you know, whatever. It's it's fine. Yeah. Um, so this one I believe is Cappy's article about microtransactions. <coughs> EA. <coughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it should be interesting when, when EA announces its games, how many more things are gonna have microtransactions? Yikes. Yeah. Uh go ahead. So this comes from uh Forbes.com. Cappy, please take it away. So pretty much uh Josh Hawley, the Republican freshman senator from Missouri, proposed a bill. Uh, regulating loot boxes. Uh, this oh. this article was published on May eighth, twenty nineteen. Um, pretty much, uh, this proposed bill is mostly an outline right now, but it aims to apply consumer protections to video games using loot boxes, pay-to-win mechanics, other monetized method monetization methods deemed manipulative. Huh. Um. So pretty much those who are not gamers but are actually tech savvy people who listen to this loot boxes are microtransactions offering randomized or partially randomized rewards to players yep um pay to win manipulation of a game's progression system typically by building artificial artificial difficulty or other barriers into game protect progression to induce players to spend money on microtransactions to advance through content supposedly mm-hmm. available to them at no additional cost. Yep. Um, um, uh, the, so pretty much what they're trying to do is they're trying to block these two concepts. Or at However, least regulate them, I would assume, right? Yeah. Yeah, at least regulate them. However, the ESA, Entertainment Software Association, which also operates the Electronic Software Rating Board, ESRB, uh, that works with retailers and publishers to assign age ratings to games, stated, and I quote, uh, numerous countries including Ireland, Germany, Sweden, Denmark, Australia, New Zealand, and the UK determined that loot boxes do not constitute gambling. We look forward to sharing with the senator the tools and, the inf- and information the industry already provi- provides that keeps control of in-game spending in their parents' hands. Parents already have the ability to limit or prohibit in-game purchases with easy-to-use parental controls. Now, let me quick jump in here really quick. Um, I believe that this this particular um, act that is going... Actually, ironically, it does mention in here. This, this particular... Okay, first of all, the, loot boxes in general and pay-to-win services have been a big part of the gaming industry literally for years. Um, 
And I actually, it's kind of funny we should talk about this because I actually was having, I was going to have a, um, a DJ Wee who uh, works at Twitch and has his own channel and does his own show, was talking to, I think it was uh, Slasher and somebody else about um, about in-game purchases. And DJ Wee made the, the quote of the fact that, you know, He's like, well, technically speaking, pay to win and microtransactions have been a part of game industry even before games on PC existed because you would have to, you know, insert a coin to play a particular, you know, arcade game. Um, but, 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 but I would, but, but see, my problem with that statement is that, and my counter argument to that statement is the fact that, at least you know what you're getting. Like, you're, it's not the same thing as like it's randomized. Like, if I go to play an arcade game, and if I lose that arcade game or whatever, I haven't really like, I'm not getting ripped off, and it's not giving me an advantage. I'm just, I'm just putting a a quarter in to play an arcade game. To me, that's a really bad comparison of microtransactions. In this particular instance here, I see it as wrong with an example being Star Wars Battlefront 2 for a short time. There was um, some in-game advantages of getting certain heroes or whatever to play against people online, which gave you the upper hand. So you were playing, you were paying to get better, to get better characters, advantages, whatever, um, to have an advantage in, um, in the game. Uh, it could basically giving you an unfair advantage compared to everybody else. That's where that's what I think an actual microtransaction is. The bit with the with the you know the 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 quarter in the arcade thing is not really a microtransaction. You're just you're just dropping money in to play a particular game that you're yeah, not but, taking home. I, I don't know how that really is a good comparison though. But the concept is still there because you're pretty much paying a quarter to play a video game. Um, that, that's really what microtransactions are, is that you get something in return for money. Yeah, but it's usually cosmetic stuff, not advantages, like at the time that, that, um, Star Wars BF2 did. Um, there's, unfortunately, there's a lot of free-to-play games that do have that pay-to-win, uh, aspect, which targets those younger children. And I, I'm actually in support of this bill, um, to an extent. Like, if they, if they can figure out a way where they can specifically target, like, pay-to-win mechanics, or if it, if they just sell microtransactions for like cosmetics, like Overwatch. Yeah, I mean, like, um, like, like for example, like I, the only time I've done maybe microtransactions was like maybe in Rocket League, but it was only for cosmetic. It gave me no upper hand yeah. in the game except to look cool. Um, and and even even in Rocket League's um loot box system, even I don't like it because honestly, what I what I really hate is the fact that like you can spend to get what's called uh to uh get what's called keys, and those keys are you buy the keys, you get in game keys to unlock loot crates that have uh, a cosmetic thing that is you have no idea what you're going to be getting out of the keys so it's kind of it, it is kind of like a little bit like one of those like slot machine things which i kind of i kind of hate actually that's one of the things i don't like about rocket league i wish i could just get the skin that i specifically want and just pay for it like once and not have to keep rng like the rng like random uh, for those who don't know random number generator is what rng stands for but the rng like mechanic is what's annoying to me like 
I'm a type, I, I'm, I'm very picky about my money. Like I'm very, like, I'm very much a shark about it. And I want to get, like, if I want to get like the Dissolver skin in Rocket League, I want to be able to just buy the Dissolver skin and just be done with it. I don't want to have to keep like guessing like, oh, I hope I get it. Oh, I hope I get it. Oh, chat, cross your fingers. Like, I don't like that. I think that's dumb. Um, Ooh, and I, I, was, I, I, I agree with that. Like, uh, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No, 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 go but, ahead. It's fine. Jump in. It's fine. It's how the show works. It's okay. Um, <laughs> what I like about Magic the Gathering Arena, I mm-hmm. play Magic the Gathering online, is that they they specifically state that every uh, four booster packs that you open, you're guaranteed a rare and a Mythic Rare wild card. Okay. Pretty much Mythic Rare wild cards allow you to craft in that game something similar to Hearthstone where you use, like, um um dust to convert cu- that dust into cards mm-hmm. um but they they don't allow you to like destroy uh multiple duplicate cards that you have okay um so i th- i think that they can get around with this like if if they say like oh every every four boxes or every x box that you open guarantees a certain rarity like uh, uh ultra rare item or or um i could something s- else i could see it where if you had say like a certain combination of stuff and this is just for any game and i'm not talking about like rocket league this goes for rocket league and other games i would not mind loot boxes if i could be allowed to take a certain combination of stuff so using Rock League again as an example because I just that's the closest thing I have at the moment. Um or even Overwatch for exa- for example. Imagine taking like a certain rare voice line with a certain skin. Um and it's kind of like if you can imagine um in Legend of Zelda there's food crafting and you take a certain yeah. amount of food crafting and it creates a certain type of food that allows Link to recover his health. In this particular case, it would be a certain combination of cosmetics. You can, and it shows you what the cut, what the order is. Um, you could take those combinations and craft a particular skin that you actually want. So you know what you're getting. You may not know what you're getting out of the loot box, but you know that no matter what you get, you can always craft something different that's like a rare item based on the basic cosmetics that you get like that's where i wouldn't mind having a loot box because at least i know that if i don't like what i get i can just craft something together and trade it in and get you know something better um or if i could you know like sell or and and that's the other thing too about um about rocket league about in-game stuff unlike other games such as CS:GO, um you can't like sell your items on the steam marketplace which i would really i really wish psionics would please allow because it would really like I could actually finally get what I actually want rather than just constantly. I just, I don't like the randomness of it. It's really really annoying. And um, you know, in, in regards to the bit about parents controlling kids' spending, kids are smart nowadays. They're not stupid. 
they know how to get a hold of stuff. I mean, the parent oh, could. Yeah, I, no, I I agree with that. I mean, I mean, I mean, <laughs> the parent could be out shopping, and the kid could happen to know where the parent's credit card information is, and they could spend you know for hours and hours while the parent's out shopping, and then put the credit card back before the parent gets home. Like you, you cannot. This comes back, to, and oh my gosh, this goes into a larger rant. I'm so sorry. This comes back to pa- the lack of really good parenting in our culture, but that's another rant for another time. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And, and I don't like the idea of government regulation because the problem is anytime the government gets its hands in something, they always screw it up. Like, quite frankly, they do. And so I'm really concerned about the fact that if we have another bill that's in the gaming industry, how much of a sour note is it going to drop in gamers' mouths and, and, in, their, and in their gameplay because there's, a game, there's now a regulation on the ESRB on, and now on the ESA about loot boxes. Um, companies in general needs to just really consider reconsider just cognitively on their own without government intervention um need to rethink how and why they have loot boxes and i understand and i and i've heard the argument too that like you know oh loot boxes they have keep they keep the 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 funding up for the game because it's money back into the game developers pockets to keep developing that game or developing new games game companies don't need that they have that's what advertising's for. That's what like you know partnerships with other companies for. That's what acquiring studios is for. They don't need microtransactions to keep the company running. Like if anything, that's like a really small monetary gain that they could gain that same monetary gain in other ways if they spent their money smarter. I'm I'm actually going to play devil's advocate advocate here. Okay. Um, I'm actually for loot boxes. One. Um, $60 doesn't cover the development costs alone. And $60 is a good, uh, good, That's a good chunk sell- of money. Yeah. It's a good selling point for most games. Uh huh. Not only that, when a gamer is done, like, especially if you own like a, um, uh, like a console like the PS4 or Xbox One, uh huh. You can go and trade that in for a new game. Uh huh. That's money out of the developer's pocket that that's from that second market, secondhand market. Yeah. So they had to figure out how they're going to keep funding up. Yeah. Because a, a lot of people go out and buy used games. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like the used market is one of the reasons why we have microtransactions is because not many people go out and buy new games. They actually go out and buy used games and other things like that. But digital content, you can't get digitally content, like you can't get digitally used games, like that's not a thing, obviously. No, you, no, you can't. But, Unless, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're saying. You're talking about console, people buy console games from like yeah. GameStop. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, yeah, my brain broke for a sec. I'm sorry, continue. And that's actually where the huge chunk of money is at for developers is the console market. It's not actually True. the PC or anything like that. Right. PC gaming, is, the reason why we don't have like AAA exclusives and other things like that is that developers know that's not a good place to have console exclusives. Because one... Yeah. You can pirate and other things like that. People can easily backdoor your game and distribute true. it for free. Yeah, that's true. Um, I just want to say I'm not encouraging. Pirating. No, we're not. We don't encourage pirating or backdoor stuff. No, of course not. Yeah, I'm. I'm saying this as like 
looking from a developer's perspective. Yes. And unfortunately, the reason why they have microtransactions is because of the secondhand market. Mm-hmm. That, that's the reason why. It's because GameStop marks it up at, at, uh, at a higher price for sure. a used game and then sells it back for a profit. Yes. Whereas game developers, they just break even on on just the physical medium. Yep, yep they do, probably. Yeah. And um, so they have to figure out how they're going to keep paying those developers and other things like that. And that's how microtransactions came about. It's a really tricky market. Um being a game developer, I'm sure. Like, I can't imagine the technicalities that have to go into it because, you know, you look at... Um, I'm just going to name one off the top of my head here. Uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, I'm sure, was a really big... Yeah, like, that was a big AAA title game. Large staff, a lot of assets in the game. You know, music composure or music composing, um, texture rendering, character model design, voice acting. I mean, it, it's it's a very large... It's a very cool industry, but it's also a very large industry. And it's also very... That's a very large development of a game. Um, but... What I and even the sixty dollar price as it is, I was watching a video from. Um, I know we're going a little bit into overtime, but I think this is a really good, really good discussion at the moment. So I'm actually kind of enjoying this. Um, and hopefully, you guys are too who are listening. Um, what I'm, I was watching a video that was talking about the sixty dollar mark for video games. Okay, so if you can imagine with me, like like a bar and there's a line. Okay, the, we're at the we're, it's like the line is like here. And we're here, I know it's kind of hard for Cappy to see, but like, you know, we're, we're here, we're somewhere between these two points here, where you have the $60 AAA, type, AAA uh, title price here, the microtransactions here, and at some point, we're going to end up moving past that $60 point where games are getting more and more expensive, and the microtransactions are getting more and more expensive, and then people are going to get, like, I don't know if there's such a thing as, as microtransaction addiction, but like... Um, and also too, like you can't blame the, it's not really the game developers fault. Honestly, actually, I think it's just, um, I think it's just people's compulsiveness. People have no self-control nowadays. Like quite frankly, they don't. Um, and because of that, you know, you end up with people who have, uh, gambling addictions, you know, the RNG really gets them, uh, which really comes back to personally, when you look at it, it's actually just a moral life, something in life is missing. They find it in video games, find it in microtransactions, find it in gambling. Um, and so you end up having this problem. So you're regulating something that is actually a human issue. It is not the industry's issue. It is not the company's issue. It is not government issue. It is a human issue down to someone's heart that um needs to be dealt with and until we deal with the the hard issue that is making somebody want to spend for microtransactions um or even for i mean video game I mean, i'm not knocking video games i do love video games so i'm not knocking that but some people find their life in nothing but video games you know um no, so I, I agree with that too you know um, so i i am go ahead <laughs> sorry no, no, it's but good. Th- this also applies to real life aspects too, because, like we we were talking before we started um, doing show. this podcast or the show, um, we were talking about oh what what we're going to bring for a local gaming convention or a gaming convention that uh, Grid and I are going to. Yeah, 
um, we were talking about Magic the Gathering. There's a digital digital version, Magic the Gathering Arena, Magic the Gathering Online, mm-hmm. and Magic the Gathering physical copies. Yeah. There's <laughs> there's actually a nickname for Magic the Gathering cards called Cardboard Crack. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, the reason why is that people who open these packs um, are addicted to opening them. Wow. And it, it it's a lack of self-control, personally. Basically, and, yeah. And whereas, yes, I do have I do have a large collection, but um, I mostly sell them for profit and other things like that. I'm yeah. a, I'm a collector myself. I collect train card games. I collect um, rare and expensive cards to sell them later down the line. I guess it's kind of like saying that I have some really rare um, Sonic um, trading cards, actually. Like, I actually do have trading cards um, over here in a, in a little book. Um, actually, it's not a little book. I've got quite a few, actually. Like, I have Lord of the Rings trading cards that you can't get anymore. I have Sonic trading cards that you can't get anymore. I have um, quite a few. I haven't been through that book in a long time, actually. Um, but, like, I've got some Sonic trading cards that are uh what's known as like foil cards and they're really rare cards like the the fact that you get the how you even get them in general um out of the packs and what you get is super rare um you know but like yeah i could see if you're doing it for for revenue or something um that's you know i get i just i don't know it's such a it's such a it's such a shaky subject because there's so many pros and cons to it. I understand, you know, on the one hand, I get the company has to make back their profit. On the other hand, I think it's ridiculous because you do, you're not actually, you can't buy what you actually want. And it's like this, it's this irritating, um, you know, seesaw, you know, imbalance between getting what you want and having the company make back what they, and the other thing is too, like, okay, I, I, I know we need to wind down the show. I'm just, I'm like, I have one other thing here. Um, it's all good, Grid. I, I I actually enjoy doing this stuff, so. No, no, I do too. Um, and it's what makes this show so great, you know, obviously. Um, but um, I find it, um, I think that if companies maybe, if they, if they did their advertising in such a way where it didn't cost them so much, like I, I'm not trying to say I want you to skimp on your game to save money. I want you to produce a fully featured game. That's I, I will play that. But if you're going to do it, be careful how you spend your money. Spend it smart so mm-hmm. that you don't feel like you have to drop microtransactions. I feel like in a way, microtransactions are almost like is almost like the company indirectly saying we mismanaged our money. We now have to make it back in these microtransactions and stuff like, and mobile gaming, especially as riddled with microtransactions, like the ads and then the things you can like the things you can buy, like the mobile gaming is a mess. In my opinion, I'm not a mobile gamer, but I, I know that it's a mess. No, I do play mobile games once in a while when I'm out and about and like traveling with family or friends and mobile the the mobile gaming industry is the worst culprits of this. Yes. They they are the worst culprits of it. Um and I I just feel like something needs to be done rather if it if it falls in the ESRB hands. It should really be the ESRB, not the government, in my opinion. Like I just no, 
And no, I I agree with you. I agree that the government shouldn't do it, but no. Unfortunately, we're in the in a world where <sighs> the government is expected to be do things. Yeah. yeah, and I and I think that's and I think that's just and that's another subject for another day, obviously. But yeah. no, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I think it's ridiculous. I think ESRB should just do their jobs and should just say, "Look, you can have well, X amount this of this." Is- this is their job. <laughs> no, I know, but like to run to the government to make legislation to ask them to to ask somebody to to do that, you know, a senator of all people who does not understand the gaming industry at all. These that's the thing. These are senators. These are politicians. They know literally nothing about the gaming industry. All they know is how to keep their seats warm. So uh-huh. I, I, this is just another topic for discussion. Yeah, absolutely, later, so. absolutely. No, no, no. But I, I, I'm going to end on that um, and stuff. Yeah. So we're going to head and <laughs> we're going to good discussion. <laughs> we're going to head and, and end off in a cool story. Um, if you like classic cars, Cap, are you? Aren't you a classic car guy? I thought you were kind of into. Oh car. yeah, yeah. I'm All right, into then, classic cars, and I'm actually looking at this article. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, so do you want to? I'm just drooling over this. Car. Do you want to read it? Yeah, I'll do okay, it. Okay, go ahead. Go, I'll, go ahead and read it. Sure. So this so, comes from foxnews.com, so go ahead and start. A car left in a, gar- a garage 31 years by pilot who helped bomb Hitler's eagle's nest sold for a small fortune. A small fortune. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so this uh, uh, very old uh, 1963 Bentley four-and-a-half-liter Vandenplas Torer was found in a garage sitting for 31 years. That is, that looks really nice, honestly, even for as and old as it is. It has been sold uh, this week. Well, actually, this was published in March, but still, this is this is actually really cool. I absolutely love this article for six hundred thousand dollars. Oof! Wow. Um, the history behind this is that. Uh, when retired Royal Air Force navigator and pilot Charles Blackham purchased it from its original owner in 1952 for £260, fixed Uh, it up and turned it into his daily driver. Let's go see if I can figure out how much pounds is in U.S. Go ahead and keep... uh... Um, Blackham had uh, had been a member of the bomber squadron that targeted the area around Hitler's Eagle's Nest retreat in April of 1945, and he later made food drops in Europe after the fall of the Nazi regime. Um, he used his Bentley until 1988, when it became too much trouble to keep it running and parked in a garage at his home near Manchester, where it sat rotting away until his death in January at age 96. Um, so this might be a little bit slightly off, um, because I'm not sure, because, you know, we obviously didn't have inflation back then. Um, but roughly speaking, maybe, uh, maybe some of our, maybe if anybody from, uh, who's from England hears this show, whatever, roughly speaking, it's about $337.89. However, um, currency, um, hadn't inflated as much as it is. So I'll, I'll probably bet it was probably a little bit, um, uh, it was probably a little bit um, less than that, but go on and read the story. Um, it was it was actually unearthed by his estate and put up for auction at the H and H Classic event held in the Imperial War Museum in Duxford. Nice. Um, 
auctioneers originally estimated the car would be would sell for no more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars, but the bidders had different ideas. Mm. Um, a lot of people are saying that it it'll take a six figure sum to get it back into shape, but at but that eighteen months down the line could have have something very special. Oh yeah. Um, so a little bit of history behind this car. Um, not many cars of this kind exist. Oh no, yeah. And and it's just like one of six like it made, and the only one with its original body. Oof! Wow. So uh, pretty much the problem with these type of cars is that they are very susceptible to rusting, and they had to rebuild them. Yeah. And pretty much what happens is that it doesn't it doesn't have its original body anymore. Got you. Okay. Um, and what the the six hundred thousand dollars may have been more of a tribute to the owner than the car. Probably. Um, I actually have family members on both sides of my family who served in World War II. My mom's side, my great grandfather, actually was was a prisoner of war in Auschwitz. Ah, yeah, my, um, my, one of my phone members on my mom's side, um, was also a prisoner of war, uh, during that time as well, yeah. Um, but anyway, go on, yeah. And my dad's side actually helped liberate Auschwitz. Oh, nice, very cool. (laughs) So, it's kind of interesting to, I, I always wonder if they actually met in person before, before, they before we would they actually knew we were going to be family members or something I'm, to that nature. I don't know. That'd be very interesting to look into. Um, so um, I did a little bit, a little bit more poking around. And again, this is kind of I'm going to say this is a very rough estimate. Um, uh, what was the pound worth in the 1930s? The pound experienced an average inflation rate of 4.86 percent per year during this period. In other words, uh, 100 pounds in 1930 is equivalent to. Per, uh, in purchasing power to uh, six hundred, or sorry, six thousand two hundred thirteen pounds, and I don't know, I don't, I guess I'm not sure how the pen, I guess it's 30, 29 pence, I suppose. In two thousand seven, a difference of uh, six thousand one hundred and thirteen. Um, pounds uh, over 87 years ago. So, um, roughly speaking, he probably played. He probably paid quite a bit more for this car um, uh, than than what I originally had uh, um, given the estimate of. But still, it was it was it was ra- it was probably for a rather substantial amount of money. Um, but it, yeah, it looks absolutely like. I mean, I'm not really a, a, a uh, an old car person, but the fact that like. You know, the, the lights look like they're intact. The the even the wheels don't look too bad. The the front grille could definitely use some cleaning up and restoration for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, the seats definitely took a really huge um, beating, but you still got the steering column, the steering wheel, um, the 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 front yeah. glass. Like it's it's a really it's in superb condition. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think pretty much have capabilities of fully rest uh, restoring restoration of that car because i wonder what the condition the, of the engine was like if, if all the parts are there you can easily rebuild the engine you can easily re 
build the gauges, rewire it, whole nine yards. It, it it's definitely very viable. Wow, that's really that is very very cool. And yeah, if I've, I would, if I were the owner, I'd be very uh very uh excited to have that, and I would definitely go to work on uh and getting it uh you know restored and everything. But that that is so cool. Yeah. So um, I mean, it, it's definitely a feel good article, and I I just want to say whoever bid that that up to sixty thousand dollars. Thank you so much. That, that, <laughs> six hundred thousand dollars, but yes, that that yeah, sorry, six hundred thousand dollars. That that's pretty awesome. That you that group did that just for the tribute to the, the veteran. Yeah, the veteran. Yeah. yeah, that is that is actually it'd be really fun. Um, as if they could uh, find uh, what's left of the family uh, members that was related to this uh, veteran and have them, you know, kind of like um kind of give them back the the car in a way or or donate to museum and that the family the former family can actually look you know come and see the car that they're um that that black ham drove like that would be very that it would just be a nice like full circle type of thing honestly but that's that is very cool so oh yeah definitely uh and that brings us to the end of our show let me go and try to i haven't done the outro in a Holy but um thank you guys so so much for for um tuning in and watching um we'll be back uh on let me see if hopefully if scheduling works out theoretically we'll be back may 25th for another episode uh if cappy's schedule is still um s- scheduling of the show will be kind of spotty because um yeah i don't know what cappy's work schedule is like and stuff so um you know we'll let you guys know either via twitter or on my um or on my uh, discord server um and and what have you um but thank you guys so much for watching and thank you Cappy, for being uh your first episode and you did and i'm gonna say you did really really well i'm very very pleased that you're now part of the tmm family and stuff so thank you for fulfilling that spot i am i am too i'm absolutely excited to be part of this so so um but thank you guys and we're gonna head and roll the outro and um for those of you that are wondering i'll be uh streaming later tonight um on my on, on my personal channel which is twitch.tv for slash grid 21 i'll be streaming around 6 p.m or so and uh until you guys till then we'll see you guys soon and have an awesome rest of your saturday and even better monday i'll catch you guys later goodbye now goodbye goodbye, goodbye. oh where's the where's the uh Thank you for listening to the Morning Metro. All stories and articles belong to the respected companies. Songs used for broadcasts. Intro music. Retro Funky by Persephone. Remix by Sundance. Outro music. 305 by Approach Nirvana. All music belongs to the respected copyright holders. For article submissions, questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at themorningmetro at gmail.com.